The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined as always by my co-host up in the uh, city of brotherly love, Christopher Smalls Angelos. But Smalls, actually, you're, you're not in Philly as of this recording, correct? No, I'm across the state in uh, Three Rivers, baby, Pittsburgh. So I'm trying out Joey Gallo's spot, maybe catch a Robert Morris game. Don't really know yet. It's all dangerous. There's no chance you're catching a Robert Morris game. Uh, you're seeing your lovely girlfriend, and she is not interested in you going to watch more basketball, I'm sure. We'll see. This week, Smalls, Nevada Smith, the head coach of the Sioux Falls Sky Force, uh, Shout out to Todd McGinnis and Josh Leffler and their whole little group text group of guys. I think we've had three of what it sounds like there's six guys, so now we've had four, but they helped set this up. And, uh, you know, Nevada's story is unbelievable for a lot of people that you probably already know it, but he went from a Division three head coach with only two years of head coaching experience to a D-League head coach and, and was talking to Daryl Morey and, and Kevin McHale just because of how his team ran their offense at Keystone College. And Smalls, I tweeted this out, but... I think the biggest takeaway from this episode is just no matter how you feel about what you're doing or, or if you feel like you're never going to catch a break, like people are always watching because he, he literally, he tells the story. They, they plugged in a bunch of stuff in an algorithm and his college kept com- popping up. And then all of a sudden he's on a flight down to Houston to interview for this job. And, I mean, just an amazing story. Yeah. He was just doing what he thought was the best. And, you know, he, made an example of his playing career and that's how he kind of played and that's how he wanted to coach and he stuck to that and it was division three he was at keystone and he wanted to be successful in there and he just got lucky that's how it happens sometimes you just kind of stay in your lane and do what you think's best coach the best way you can and then it leads to good things and it really led uh to an unlikely path for nevada and all but you know success and he's having a great year this year as well yeah I mean now this is his fifth year in the G League as as a head coach two years at RGV and now this is his third year with Sioux Falls which is the Heat's affiliate uh talks a little bit about Eric Spolstra you know talks a bunch about Daryl Morey talks about analytics like we got really into the weeds and on basketball in this one like talking about interviews and stuff but also like just a fun interview as well like just a, a tremendously real guy pretty honest we talked about some bad tv talked about some other stuff like we always do but you know like their little group chat i think we've had four of the six so the other two guys whoever you are i'm sure we've heard who this who you are at different points like get in touch with us right smalls like we'll we'll finish out the six p- people in the group chat because these interviews are just hilarious like yeah, you gotta we, we gotta do it i mean maybe we'll see them at the final four you don't know like no, it's we're all- crashing that we're crashing that dinner they don't know it. they don't know it yet but we're gonna end up there somehow i don't know how we're gonna crash their dinner but we'll figure it out it'll be great <laughs> yeah we'll put it on instagram live we'll just come in and crash it and uh you know, we'll r- rally the troops, so to speak. Might have to blur out some faces if we're going to put it on Instagram Live, <laughs> at least from what we know of these guys. But we'll keep this intro short because the interview is long. But again, just like I like the one thing that I took away from it, Smalls, is just, you know, understand that no matter where you are and what you're doing, people are going to take notice if you're doing things differently than, than others. Whether it's good or bad, obviously for Nevada it was good, but just, you know, be cognizant of that fact. And, and at any point a break can come. We talk about loving the, the business for the instability and the stability, but like, at any point, I mean, this is as unbelievable a story as there is. I know, like, Deadspin covered it a bunch of people, but 
you know, all of a sudden you look at a Houston phone number and you're calling your friends and being like, are you guys fucking with me? Like, this is unbelievable. So just, you know, keep no matter how, you know, like, I guess down in the dumps you might get about if you're never going to catch a break, like you're just one full call away from catching the, you know, the biggest break of your life. So enjoy this interview with Nevada Smith. If you like what you hear, as always, like I say, please subscribe, rate us five stars. Uh, Leave us a review if you do that and uh, you send me a screenshot of it. I will send you a koozie free of charge. Uh, We are at Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Like I've said over and over again, get in touch with us on uh, via email if you're going down to the Final Four. We're going to try to work some different things out, going to do some live podcast, try to get together a meetup. But you know, now that that is in the works, we are working on getting credentialed and all that good stuff. So we're going to be real journalists, Smalls. It'll be really exciting for us. But uh, this week, Nevada Smith, short intro from Smalls and I. Enjoy it. And uh, to everyone that listens, thank you so much. We very much appreciate it and enjoy Nevada Smith. Welcome on, Nevada Smith, currently the head coach of the Sioux Falls Sky Force in the NBA G League. That is the Miami Heat's affiliate. Coach, at the All-Star break, you told me you just had five inches of snow, but uh, how are you today? Great, man. Great. It's uh, you know last day of the All-Star break, so I'm uh, going to try to hang out with the, the wife, baby, and dog here as much as we can and uh, get back at it tomorrow. Are you jumping right back on the road, or do you have a couple days before you start playing again? Uh, we get two practices, Monday, Tuesday, and then we uh, we have a little East Coast swing. We go to Long Island and uh, Toronto. All right. You guys are currently 23 and 15. You have the number one offensive rating in the G League. How's the season been for you guys thus far? It's been, you know, every season in this league is is multiple seasons. You know, you have so many different players and your, your team just molds and morphs into you know, different animals at different types of the year. You know, I thought the beginning of the season, we started eight and one. I thought we were by far the best team in the league. And then you lose a couple of guys. You, you have new guys come in. You're trying to get acclimated. Um, you know, we played the last month and a half without, you know, the guy who probably would have been the MVP of the league, uh, Yante Maiton from Georgia. Uh, so he's just coming back and hasn't played a game. I don't know when he'll suit up for the first time but um you know it's it's the hardest league in the world to coach in just because on a day-to-day basis you really don't know who you have (laughs) you know we lose a tough game and i get a text the next day that briante weber signing an olympiacos and (laughs) you just don't know you know guys that play 40 minutes are are gone um you know we're, we're starting you know guys you know this week that we might start five different guys you know a week from now uh, with guys coming back, and we have two guys playing with Team USA, so they missed three games. Um, so it's uh, it's been crazy, but it's been pretty good. You know, we got a a good group that work really hard. Um, you know, they're mix of of veteran G League guys plus um, some really talented um, guys that are first year out of school. So it's uh, it's been fun. Yeah, and you're getting into that part of the season that just I remember from my experience, but 10-day call-up season is is guys are really excited for it. And then as it 
moves progresses a little bit and guys realize, oh, that 10 day might not come. It's harder to get guys up to play. Like the, I think uh, Kevin Young told me he called it like the G League Blues, which was like the last like ten to twelve games of the season when guys were like, "Oh shit, that thirty thousand dollar payday is not coming." You hit it right. You uh, if you're not that first wave of ten days, it's like, what am I doing? Um, we had Briante go overseas. We had John L. Stokes go to China. Um, and, and you know what? For those guys, they should. You know, they have a chance to make money for a long time, and and you can't hold them back. Um, but we, you know, we we had Emmanuel Terry who played a Division Two Lincoln Memorial. Um, he's phenomenal. Um, just came back from a ten day with the Suns, and now he's gone for three games with Team USA. And you know, we got guys like Rodney Purvis, Raphael Putney, DeAndre Liggins, guys that you know are deserving that haven't gotten it yet. That are you know feeling the pressure and pressing a little bit, and um, you just gotta. You know, hope they keep patient and and play these last you know twelve or so games and into the playoffs and and the way the league's going now, there's so many roster spots that are going to be open with teams uh, with buyouts that that they're going to have chances and it, the chances are coming later. Um, I've noticed in, in my times in the in the league that uh, you know this will be in and out of six years and 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 recently it's been late season ten days. So you always got to keep that in their in their mind and make sure they're ready to go. Well, you're you're talking like a grizzled vet, which you which you are at this point. But I, I, I we've got to ask it, and I'm sure you've been asked, you know, two hundred thousand times since 2013. But how does a Division three head coach with two years of head coaching experience and no experience at the NBA level get a D League at the time head coaching job? Can you can you walk us through kind of how you went from Keystone to Rio Grande and working for the Rockets? No doubt, it um, it's a crazy story. It really is, you know. It, you're getting ready for a season at Keystone. It would have been my third year at Keystone. We had a great recruiting class I was excited about. Um, and I never checked my answering machine at Keystone. Keystone's a very different place. Um, and I just never checked it. I always just assumed and I recruited with my cell phone. So I think it was, I went away for a weekend. I came back. I was uh, watching a ton of Division One practices. It's at that time where you know, in between October 1st and October 15th, where, um, you know, you can get out and watch some division one practices and, um, you know, you, all you're really doing is recruiting. You can't get on the court with your team. So I was, I was on the road and I get back and I, for some reason, check my answer machine. And there's a message from, uh, a guy, Jimmy Palace, who's an uh, assistant GM with the Rockets. Now, immediately, I think it's McGinnis or Leffler busting my balls. <laughs> I think Alan Serretti told us that, that like you called yeah. him and you were like, hey, is this one of you guys like, yeah. <laughs> like dicking me over here? Exactly. We have a tech strand, like six guys. And I'm like, are you guys messing with me or what? And they're like, what are you talking about? So I'm like, all right. And I, so I'd say this guy, Jimmy Pilas, texted me and McGinnis was the guy that was like, oh no, he works for the Rockets. He used to work at NYU. I'm like, all right. So we trade phone calls back and forth. And, um, you know, they wanted to do a, a phone interview uh, for their, their G League team, D League team at the time. And, uh, you know, still, I'm like, what is this? I, don't, I didn't understand it that much. It was still young. Um, so I did a phone interview, and I thought I killed it. Like, literally thought it went as well as it could go. Now, mind you, they are in China uh, for a preseason game. So their sleep patterns are all messed up with the Rockets. It's crazy. So, um, you know. Daryl calls me uh, the next day, and this is all in a 12-day span. So Daryl calls me and just says, hey, we want you to come down. 
Now, meanwhile, we had just started practice. So it was the first week of the season. He wants me to come down. So I have to <laughs> come up with a way. And, you know, gym time in Division Three with volleyball going on is impossible to figure yes, out. Right? Very difficult. I know this. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out, like, when I can move practice up so I can get out that night and cancel the next day. So I figure it all out, and we practice on a Thursday. I fly. I go to Philadelphia, and I fly out of Philly Friday morning, do an all-day interview, uh, fly back Friday night. And I had to get back because we had the La Plume Parade in Keystone. So I, uh, my job for the three years I was there was to drive the mayor of La Plume, La Plume in a convertible <laughs> through the one street that uh, they have. So. Um, the, the Houston brass thought that was hilarious. So, uh, you know, <laughs> killed him. Great interview <laughs> anecdote. Yeah. I tell you what, do you, have you ever felt like in division three interviews and college interviews are a lot different because you're, you're getting asked questions by professors and by staff and student advisors. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, we want to answer questions about basketball, right? Like, yeah, yep. I'll have all those answers prepared. My answer is going to be the exact same as the next guy that got taught the same exact stuff right <laughs> the the basketball interview with the rockets was just awesome like there was a video session what would you do here what would you do there like end of game uh i took a wonderlick test um how'd you do great uh, the best thing was when i was at ithaca we had uh, guys would work in our our office and it would get slow so we would like take practice wonderlick tests and we would play sudoku like time sudoku who would win um, I was ready for that nerd stuff, that. and it ends up being the one place that you know comes and hires you in this incredible situation. They're no nerds doubt. too, so it works out perfect. No doubt. So I go back Saturday. Um, you know, we have practice. I'm kind of as you would be, like a little discombobulated. Your mind's in a million places. I thought I killed it. I had no idea. I knew they had to act quickly. Um, so I go out with my friends, and uh, you know, it's we, we just have a banger. Right, just just trying to let loose, and uh, so Sunday we have practice, and I couldn't use our gym, and we're using uh, Baptist Bible down the street, and uh, I just had one of those days where I felt terrible afterwards because I I must have said things that have never been said in that college campus before, and uh, kick guys out, like kicking balls, just just the, the stress of the situation was like I need this to end, and it only had been twelve days. Um, so Monday, I'm sitting in the office, or Sunday night, I'm actually watching football. I think the Steelers were playing Sunday night, and um, I get a call from a Houston number, and I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, it's Kevin McHale. So I'm like, oh, all right. So I was like, this is a pretty good sign if he's calling and, and saying I did a great job in the interview. Like He was talking like I had the job, but I hadn't talked to anyone else yet, so I didn't know what to do. <laughs> So I obviously text our friends. I'm like, hey, I think I think I'm gonna get this thing. Mikhail just texted me or, or just called me. So uh, yeah, next day Monday, more, more Daryl calls me. I'm at lunch. Take the call. Accept the job on the phone. He was like, you got about an hour before it's gonna break. So I had to get my team in a room, like pulling them out of class, <laughs> pulling guys out of bed, and just like hey, this is the situation. This is what's happening. I'm leaving tomorrow. Like I'm not gonna be here tonight. Um, this is it. So that was pretty tough. Um, you know, a lot of those guys came from different places, Florida, Texas. Uh, we had a kid from Vegas. It was, uh, it was hard. Uh, but 
yeah, man, it was uh, it was an absolute ridiculous experience, but uh, but fun. You know, Jimmy and I are still close friends to to this day. We still talk all the time. Um, there's really good people there, so it was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a wild story, but it's so interesting. And I actually want to go back to the start at Keystone real quick. How did you kind of you know come up with this style of play? And then execute that style of play. How did you kind of implement it right into Keystone and build on it as you were going into your third season? Right, because r- real quick, Nevada, that was the reason the Rockets ended up finding you, right, was because they were like, we want somebody who plays super fast and shoots a ton of threes. And, and that was how you played at Keystone. Exactly. And they did, a, um, they did an algorithm of you know, teams in college. They were, they were fixated on bringing a college guy in. And they uh, did an algorithm of you know, what they valued. And, uh, you know, our team kept popping up and, uh, you know, they interviewed a couple of division three guys, a couple of division two guys, a couple of division one assistants. Um, and it was kind of, it was nuts, man. Literally a computer got me a job. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it, Ithaca. Did you originally set that out though? Like, w- were you like an analytics guy previous and that's how you came up with the threes? Or it was just like, by, you wrote it on a napkin while you're having a banger and you were like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> So when I played, I only took threes, layups, and free throws because that's what I did, right? Like you just fill into your role. And I didn't take mid-range jumpers because I wanted to get to the free throw line and I wanted to shoot threes, and that's really all I took. Um, so you always have that in the back of your head. And, and the only, the most important stat to me when I started coaching in 2003 was points per shot. Like I thought that was the way that you really, and this is before all the crazy analytics. I mean, that was an easy way to figure out who was efficient and who wasn't, right? Because it's either, you know, you're taking all your shots close to the rim or you're making a decent percentage of threes or you're taking a ton of free throws. Like the people that don't do that are inefficient players. So, and I've just run with it, you know, every level we've been at. And at Ithaca, we had a roster that just kind of fit. Like we had one dominant player and we had a ton of great role players and the player just happened to be a point guard and he did everything. <laughs> he was the best. And uh, then he could score. He averaged 20 a game, played in Iceland. Then we get a new guy after him. We recruit a player that uh, was pass first guy and he comes in and leads the country and assists as a freshman. Completely changed how we play, but literally the same ideas. Um, and then go to Keystone where, you know, I'm, I fall into just a, a wealth of talent. Uh, the, the talent on that roster was unbelievable the athleticism um you know jason leone who was at oswego state now who's a good friend um he did such a great job recruiting but you know they lived on defense and pounding the ball inside and you know you couldn't get further away than what i came in with so the first you know i can remember the first practice guys were looking at me i had to kick guys out because they couldn't finish our running drills and i'm like what is going on did i make the right decision and I'm looking around the gym. We got wooden backboards. I'm like, what is this? And it was, uh, you know, it was it was nuts. But those guys were great, and they can they they listened. They had an idea of what I wanted to do, and they thought it was going to work. And uh, and yeah, man, we we jacked up a ton of threes. We hit them at a decent rate. We had decent shooters that became better shooters with the freedom they had. Um, and we had elite offensive rebounders. And I think that's what you need to, um, you know, play in the way. Uh, we play is you really have to be uh, animals on the glass. You got to create extra possessions. You're going to miss more shots on the other team um, simply because you're taking them from further out. 
and you got to do a great job of cleaning up and getting extra possessions. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the recipe for success, the way we play. How long does it take, I guess, is my question, because there's, and you've said it, you have three different seasons in a G League season. Uh, Keystone, you get there. How long does it take? There's different players in different teams, but to get that system and get players to actually buy in, and like you said it, pounding inside, they had to get out of that and start shooting threes and layups and pounding the glass. So how long did it kind of take you to get to that point with each of your teams? At Keystone, it was it was quick. You know, I thought the younger guys, and you know, we had a couple older guys like Steve Hardnett, Malcolm Boone, Mike Kelly that were they were really good players, but they also were really smart players. So they understood what I was talking about and way different ways to score. And we we made you know Malcolm Boone, who was a back to basket guy, just an animal at the five. He was used to playing the four and. And now he's just facing up people and going by. Um, Mike Kelly was one of the best passers, one of the highest IQ guys I've ever coached at any level. And he could see cuts and angles. And he he was just terrific at seeing all that stuff. And then Hardnett was, I mean, probably the best athlete that's ever played Division Three basketball. I mean, he's, uh, if you ever watch his dunk highlights, we made a dunk video for him to go to the dunk contest. He was, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anyone do the stuff that he could do. Um, and we just allowed him to, to gamble on defense and getting passing lanes and tons of back cuts and uh, you know allowed him to shoot threes where he wasn't really doing that before so and to be honest the when I went to the Rockets that first year I was scared to death about how are these players going to look at me a uh, little division three guy and listen to what I'm saying and I was terrified right that was my only fear I was like if they listen to me we'll win if they don't there's nothing I can do and uh, you know I'm in a locker room with James Johnson, uh, Isaiah Cannon, Robert Covington, you know, Troy Daniels, uh, Chris Johnson, Tim Albrecht. You know, these guys are pretty accomplished players, and um, and they bought in right away. And I think, um, you know, I felt like the the biggest thing. I had a little relationship with Isaiah and Covington for my week and a half in Houston before camp, so I got to know them a little bit. Uh, but my biggest challenge, I thought, was. Um, you know, recruiting James Johnson to, to have my back. And, uh, you know, we went golfing, we talked, and I just said, hey, I have to be able to yell at you so I can yell at everybody else. And uh, he was great. And he would tell me in practice, he goes, I'm going to throw this ball out of bounds and you got to rip me. And uh, and he was awesome, man. And those guys bought in and it it elevated their careers. Like it it gave James a chance to show that he could play with the ball in his hands. It It made the NBA aware of who Troy Daniels was. Um, you got to see Isaiah Cannon in his element of a score first point guard. You got to see the the small development gross of a Covington where you can say this guy can be a three and D wing in the NBA. Um, and it was all super fast paced. And, uh, you know, I think those guys probably, and, and I, they've said it to me since it was the most fun they've ever had. And, and it was probably the most fun I've ever had. It was, uh, it was nuts. Those 10 games where James played and we were, doing stuff that no one thought was possible was uh it was unbelievable i mean you you you're not going to probably mo- most coaches won't take credit but maybe you will nevada but like it changed james johnson's career like his ability to show that he could play the four and like just like just guard and like one through four and just like he's an animal blocking shots on the wing like he i mean he made what he's made 40 million dollars probably since that season maybe a little less than that but 
Oh, we just signed him to 50. So <laughs> he's uh, 50 with the Heat. Um, and, yeah. and, you, and you had seven other, you know, Darius Morris, I know, was on that yeah. team too, if I remember right. Chris Johnson, I know, played, you know, he had a couple cups of coffee. Like, so you had seven guys who all of a sudden they're like, all right, we got guys that can shoot and play different positions. Like, it, it, it was, I was curious about that. Like, did guys think it was fun? Because, you know, you, you, you had a, not a ton, you didn't have a ton of like 30 somethings, but you did have some guys that were like in their mid 20s. But were they, did they think it was fun right away or, or were you met with like, hey, this is not the way I've played. Like I want post-ups, you know, is that the type of situation you did have to deal with? Or did you actually get a group of guys that were like, you know what? Fuck it, man. Like let's all score 18 plus points a game. Completely bought in. It was the beginning of that season was so much fun. And now it was, and I remember, I remember our first preseason game. Um, I think it was Isaiah took a pull up jumper from like 18 feet and made it. And our bench started clapping. And I was like, don't clap for that. And they kind of looked at me and started laughing. And then I just started laughing too. Like it was, you know, we were trying to do something different. And, um, you know, that was the pushback. Like I live in the mid-range, coach. Mid-range is my game. And the beginning of the year, we had no problems. As we got guys who weren't, who came in late, who weren't there at the beginning for the buildup and, and all that, there was more pushback from those guys. Um, Darius was one that bought in right away. He, he probably had the best game I've ever seen anyone play in, in the D league playoffs. He had 51 and 18 and it was unbelievable. Um, but he bought in right away and, and the mid range jumper stuff was, you know, there's just so many guys that live on that and, um, you know, not so much now. And, and I fight with our guys on, on our Skyforce team. Now it's like, there's one team that embraces it. Everyone else is going away from it. And, uh, you know how many roster spots are available on the Spurs right now? None. <laughs> like there might be one, but, uh, if you want to be the best mid range jump shooter in the G league, you're probably going to go play in Germany or you're going to go play in the Euro cup. So, um, you know, the, the league is really, um, and I shared a quote with them. Saunders took over in Minnesota after they let Tibbs go, you know, his first day they're doing, you know, four points for a layup, four points for a three, no points for a mid range jumper. And I'm trying to explain to these guys like these these new coaches, the, the way to play is this is what they want. Like, if you don't see it, I can't help you. You can still take those shots, I guess. I'm not going to pull you out like I used to. Um, but this is the way the game's going. This is what they want. Every team is implementing some sort of, you know, getting away from mid-range jumpers. And, and, and I tell them, like, the best player on the team can take whatever shot they want. Like, Anthony Davis, LeBron, like, they're doing what they want. <laughs> um, you're not going to have that freedom when you get up there for 10 days. You're going to have to play perfect and you're going to have to do everything they want. And, um, you know, that's the, what we're trying to instill here is like, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And we're trying to tell you the way that the NBA teams want you to do it. We, we actually, when I was in Delaware that first year, like we were talking about off the air, we had two wings that were competing for roster spots. And at the end of training camp, we had tracked every single scrimmage, like every single practice where we went live, like we had tracked corner fills. And we ended up taking the wing that filled the corner, like no joke like that. They were like, oh, they're really close. They're both really good. And we went back and looked at the stats and one dude was like, you know, 200 more corner fills than the other guy. And we were like, all right, well, he's doing what they want him to do. So they kept that kid on the, and I, I think if I remember correct, it was, it was the kid we talked about, the kid Steve, but like we kept him just because it was like, all right, well, he's not going to screw up the offense. That's what we want to do. And, and so like those like eight days of training camp and stuff that ended up being why the Sixers even their front office, like all the way up to Hinky was like, this is what we want and, and on down the list. But I'm curious that first year, you know, like we, we talked about with RGV using the team a little bit like a science experiment, how much 
interaction did you have with the NBA front office that season and, and them telling you like, hey, can you try something like this out? Can you do this? Like, we're sending this guy down. Here's what we want to see. Or did you get a lot of free reign that first year? A little bit of both. Um, it's, it's different. I tell people all the time, when I got to Houston, I spent the majority of my time with the front office. I was in on draft prep my second year. I was doing draft interviews. I was in the draft room. Um, when I got to Miami, I'm just with the coaches. So completely different. Um, but I, I mean, I talked to them every day. Like they would text, they would send me an email. Hey, look at this. The one thing they did say was, um, they wanted me to focus solely on the offense and they wanted me to do whatever I want. Um, we did have like when we had Clint, uh, we had Capella my second year. It was, Hey, we got to make sure he gets a couple post touches just to see what he can do with it. Um, but outside of like a couple little individual things, um, the offense was pretty much whatever we wanted to do. Um, defensively, we wanted to mirror them. Uh, and it was hard, you know, different personnel. It's really hard to do. But, um, but yeah, they were, they would email me crazy stuff and they would ask crazy things. Hey, what do you think about this? Can we do this? Uh, and it was very, very fluid conversation. So, um, no, it was great. It was, uh, amazing experience. And, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be here and wouldn't be with Miami right now if, if that wasn't, uh, that never happened. What's the, what's the biggest difference between RGV and Sioux Falls for you? The city? Uh, the, the programs, the teams, the, uh, the whole thing. One's like a desert and you can, you can go to like Pueblo in like 10 minutes if you want to buy cheap booze and come on back. <laughs> Another one, there's snow on the ground every day. If I was an RGV, I'd be running in shorts and a tank. Maybe not even a tank right now. Um, I guess professionally and personally. Because I think there's a combination there. Every year, obviously, the league has gotten better, right? It, um, the hotels, the flights, the gameplay, the, the buildings have gotten better. I think the, you know, at RGV, it was, um, you know, the ownership group really wasn't that hands-on. Um, they were there. You knew who they were. Um, you know, our GM obviously was doing scouting and different stuff for the Rockets. So it was really our entity. And, and uh, you know, when you needed something down there, it took forever. I mean, forever. And I think that was, that was just how that area operates though. Like if you go to dinner, it takes forever to get food. Like it, it's just slow. Like it, it really is just a slow moving, happy go lucky place. The weather's unbelievable. The food was great. I love living there. Um, you know, it was, it was a different place. It opened my eyes. I had never been on the border of Mexico before. Um, you know, my first year I was, sleeping at midnight and then you hear all these guns go off and you're like, what in the world is going on? Um, and you just saw like you knew who the cartel was, you knew to stay away from them, but you would just tip your hat and they would look at you and that was it. And uh, Wait, yeah, we, we need some. Oh yeah. They're, they're well, I, I've been, you know, my, my grandparents lived in my, on my dad's side, lived in McAllen for, uh, they would go like McAllen for the winter in Iowa in the, in the summers. And so we would go over the border and I used to always remember seeing guys with guns, but I, I guess I was too young to recognize like, oh, cartel, army, maybe the same person. I, you know what I mean? I don't know. The Winter Texans, that was our, uh, that was our big crowd down there. But yeah, like M- McAllen has the number one grossing mall in the United States because there's a, um, a free pass zone down there. So people come from Mexico and they go to the mall and they buy all this stuff and then they tear all of the tags off. So they can go back through with it. And like you go to the mall on a Saturday, you can't get a parking spot 
and there's just tags all over the parking lot. It's so hilarious to me. Uh, but yeah, that place is different. And then, you know, you come to Sioux Falls and it's, our ownership is unbelievable. They're great people. I'm actually going to our owner's house tonight for dinner. Um, they're really involved. They, anything you need is done. Um, most of the stuff you don't even have to ask for. Um, so from that standpoint, it's just different. Um, you know, the basketball, and I think our arena in Sioux Falls is the best in the league, but it, you know, RGB just bought a new one and everyone says it's unbelievable. So we're going down there, uh, second half of the year. So it'll be interesting to see that. Um, and I think the involvement of, you know, Miami and Houston are, are probably similar, probably two of the better teams, uh, using the league and using it for its benefit of players and development. Um, so I think from that standpoint, I've been lucky enough to be with two programs that really value, uh, the league and, and what our staff has to do. What's the, uh, what's the challenges with it being in Sioux Falls and Miami, you know, the, the teams are trying to get closer, so it's easier to send guys up or down. Are, are you seeing, is it, is it much more difficult with the NBA relationship being in Sioux Falls and then the, you know, the NBA club being in Miami? Um, the only tough part is, you know, if they have an injury and need a guy right away, um, you know, RGM, Andy Ellsberg comes to a lot of games and it's two flights from Miami. There's no easy way to get here. Um, you know, we had Deion Waiters come up and, uh, they at least got him a, a PJ fly up. So you didn't have to worry about changing in Chicago. But, um, it, the one philosophy that I've gotten to, to realize that they have here and I really like is they want our guys and even the guys in Miami, um, to be a, a real part of our team. They don't want them just playing one game and leaving, not practicing. They want them to really immerse themselves in the team. And, you know, we had Rodney Magruder last year on a, uh, a rehab assignment. And, uh, you know, he was there practicing, getting to know the guys, buying them dinner. Um, it wasn't, hey, I'm coming, I'm playing 40 minutes, and then I'm out. Like, it, they just want to do it a different way. They just want guys to really immerse themselves in the team. And, um, and I love that aspect. I think it's great. Um, and I, I mean, I think at some point they'll want to move it to Miami just for the logistics of the two ways. The two ways have really changed it. Um, I think, I think without the two ways, I don't know if they would ever move. I think with the two ways, you know, that is one thing where it could be a huge benefit to be closer. Um, I hope it never happens. I know a lot of people hope it never happens. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think it'll be in Sioux Falls for, for a while. I mean, the two places that were like Sioux Falls was great. They always had a ton of fans. And then Maine, you know, also was I just remember the Red Claws games like they had a ton of fans as well. You know, just two. I, I know Santa Cruz had a really good reputation. Also, I, I never was fortunate enough to go out there. But like Sioux Falls and Maine, I know like they got big crowds like the city's really embraced the team. And then you'd go other places and you'd play in front of 200 people, you know, Canton or Erie and Erie does well now, too, I guess. But it was just like. Those two places had legitimate home court advantages. If, if like at least in 2013, 2014. No, for sure. It, you know, in, in five years, I've never been to Maine. It's unbelievable. The only place that's been around the whole time I've never been to. But I, I you know, watching their games, um, you see big crowds. Santa Cruz's crowd's great. Um, our crowd's great. You know, this is this is the 30th season of Sioux Falls basketball, um, professional basketball in Sioux Falls. So. Um, you know, our season ticket holders are great. They know all the players, you know, our players hug them before the games. Um, we, we get great crowds. They're really energetic and, um, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, RGV was, you know, you'd have the kids game that was packed. You'd have a couple games throughout the year that was packed, but other than that, it was pretty, pretty sparse here. It's, it's, it's more of a big deal. 
Um, what, uh, you, you leave RGB 2015, you go 57 and 43 in two seasons. And then it looks like if, if Wikipedia and your bio is correct, that you end up having a little bit of a gap year until getting to Sioux Falls. What was kind of the, the plan after RGB and before getting the job in Sioux Falls? Uh, there was no plan. It was, uh, what am I going to do with my life? Right. You never, you don't worry about getting fired at Division Three. You just do your job and it just takes, you know what I mean? Your contract just rolls over. Um, and that was the one part I loved about it. And yeah, until the office, the locks in your office are different, you, you have a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I did some advanced scouting uh, for Golden State uh, on the East Coast. And um, that was fun. I hated it. <laughs> I would never want to do it again. Oh, and, really? Oh, I hated it. And uh, I just missed being on the court. I missed having a team. Missed being around guys. Like, first time in my life I didn't have a team. Um, and then, you know, I got to meet Spo, uh, right after our, right after I got let go, um, right before literally the Friday before Mayweather Pacquiao. Um, so got to hang out with him and, and we stayed, you know, friends throughout the summer and texting back and forth. And I started doing some stuff for him, um, just on the side of watching different stuff and giving ideas and we built a relationship. I went down a couple times to Miami and, um, you know, that's how you know, the, the Sioux Falls opportunity came about. Guys, we've got to take a quick break to talk about Podcast One. If you like our show, you're going to love You're Welcome with Kale Sonnen on Podcast One. Join the UFC superstar as he interviews the hottest names in MMA about the world of competitive fighting and more. Check out You're Welcome with Kale Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Card today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. And now, back to Nevada Smith. Coach, you mentioned, uh, you know, a baby and a wife. How are you bal- balancing coaching all year round and your personal life and everything that goes along with it? Um, the baby is only, three, well, going to be four weeks here on Tuesday. Yeah. So I'm still big deal. that out. Yeah, that, that part is still <laughs> new. <laughs> it's been yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize how selfish of a person I was until we have another person I got to deal with every day. Um, <laughs> you know, with your time, with your energy, it's it's really amazing. Um, but it's, I'll, I'll say this: I feel like coaching in the in the D League and being affiliated with an NBA team, you you do have a little bit more time when you're off. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not worried about about much. You're not worried about your recruiting class. You're not worried about grades. You're not worried about what guys are doing at the bar. Um, so I really value the off season. I think I never really did before, but I think using, you know, May, June to really recharge and refresh and step away and then jumping back in for summer league 
and then stepping away again and doing, you know, August, you know, a couple weeks there, a couple weeks here and there of workouts and things like that, just getting prepared before training camp has been awesome. Um, it's really helped me from a standpoint of, you know, I always had the mentality of I got to outwork everyone or I'm never going to get an opportunity. And uh, the one reason I love Division Three is you can work as much as you want. You can call people whenever you want. You mm-hmm. can go to as many games. You can go to as many practices. And you just – I just didn't want to get outworked by anybody. And um, and here, you know, it's, it's not like you can't do work because I'm still watching game film in the morning and cutting up ATOs and doing all that stuff. But I'm having coffee and my dog's sitting on my leg. Like it's a little <laughs> different than sitting in an office. Um, and we, you know, from – we start in November in the, in the G league and, and we really outside of the all-star break don't have a day off. Mm-hmm. Like we, we just don't like most of our day offs are travel days where, uh, I don't know if, a uh, a wake up at four fifty AM and a flight from, um, San Jose to Denver, sitting in Denver airport for five hours and then getting to Sioux Falls at 9 PM. That's not really a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been good. It's, it's helped with the balance. It allows, my wife and I had to go back to Saratoga, New York, and, and we stay there in the summer. Um, so it's uh, it's been great. I love it. Uh, you know, balancing this with a kid now is going to be <laughs> be a little different. Especially, uh, my wife's going to go back to work in Saratoga, and I'm going to be a, a stay at home dad for a couple months. So we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> be a lot of morning uh, watching watching workouts at the racetrack with the dog uh, in my hand and then pushing the baby watching. Uh, some three-year-olds getting ready for Travers. So uh, it's good to come. <laughs> I actually, it's funny you mentioned that about the travel day in the G League because my year as basketball ops coordinator, like I got a lot of freedom to do the schedule and stuff. They gave me kind of like a blank schedule. I was just at a co- like just done being a GA, and they gave me the schedule, and they're like, "All right, rework this." And Rod Baker, who we talked about, you know, long time uh, coach, I love. Him. Amazing, dude. Like, and in terms of like the best guy for a team that had 35 guys throughout the season and like Akil Carr and, you know, BJ Young, these crazy personalities, like it was great. Hey, I'd be, but I remember RGV too. You did, right? In training camp, he actually got some, he got some guaranteed money. He, he was very proud to tell everyone that. He actually, he did one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. If you don't mind me telling the story, like, I, you know, we're not out here to protect anybody, but we traded for him. He, he flies to Philly. I pick him up at the airport. And then we get back to the hotel and he goes, where's my bag? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, like somebody grabbed my bag. And I was like, you're holding a bag. He's like, no, no, I had two others. Like he just left his bag on the baggage claim. Like he just came to meet me, got in the car with like a carry on. And we drove, you know, the 45 minutes back to Delaware. And then, you know, obviously he didn't get back in the car to take the trip back to the airport. That, that was only me. But sure enough, like his bag is just sitting on the baggage claim because he just never grabbed it because it was like, oh, yeah, somebody will get it. It's like, have you not been in the G League half the year? That's not how this works down here, buddy. (laughs) I love DJ just because he was so like happy-go-lucky. But from a maturity standpoint, he he was far away. And and I love him. And he, he was probably the best isolation player I've ever seen in that league. Like he can score one-on-one on anybody out there and with ease. Just get to the basket. So quick and, and such a quick jumper. It was unbelievable, but it was like guys would play 20 feet off. I mean, still be able to get to the rim sometimes, but I agree with you. He was one of the guys that it made me stunned to think that like this was a professional basketball league. And it's not just him, but there were so many guys who were right out of college who had high level reps when they were going into college. And you just, you just see that they're just not ready to be professionals. And, and I've heard now, Nevada, that the league has done a much better job of kind of transitioning guys like that. But like I would do grocery store runs. I've talked about this on the show before. Like I'd do grocery store runs. Guys would miss it 
and then be like, I got to go to the grocery store. And, and coach Baker told me one of the things to do to make sure that your time was your own was like, don't take guys places after, you know, 7 PM or 8 PM, you know, like give them a schedule. This is when we're going here. And if they're not there, like that, they're shit out of luck. But like, as a young kid myself, I would always feel bad about like, look, if you got to get something to eat, cause these guys didn't have cars, but like they would just not go to Acme or like they go to Acme and buy like 10 frozen pizzas and eat nothing else. And you'd be like, what, what's going on here? Like, and dude just weren't prepared, I, I thought, to be professionals. And like I said, I, I guess that's a big step that the league has taken, like transitioning guys, like having some nutritionists, having guys in the big club come down, kind of teach them how to get a little bit older. But yeah, I mean, I was blown away by that, the, the lack of like what seemed like real life skills for guys right out of college. I should have probably mentioned that in the big differences. We didn't have that at RGV, right? And I get to Sioux Falls. We have a nutritionist. We have, um, you know, she gives every city we go. She gives restaurants around our hotel what to order. Um, you know, we get pregame and postgame meals. That's uh, awesome. It's it's a lot better from that standpoint. Um, <laughs> they're really aware of what's going on. And and to be honest, the the addition of Uber and Lyft have really uh, been a huge huge help in our league. And uh, you know, all the players get Lyft credit, um, so they get free Lyft rides. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, and I mean. In Sioux Falls, too, I think we have four players that have cars that ship their cars here. Um, you know, so it's uh, that's a big help. You got some guys. You got some guys with with some cash in their pocket. You're not looking at a bunch of dudes on just like C contracts for their we, first. We didn't take a lot of draft eligible guys, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, like the Nasus Antetokounmpo rented a car. I'm sure Giannis rented the car for him, but he, he had a car, and so he became instantly very popular because he would drive guys places all the time. And then his girlfriend came to visit, and he wasn't driving anyone, and it created a little bit of a rift in the locker room. Oh, God. Uh, let's uh let's take it into coach speak so two quotes uh both from nba guys just kind of uh we want you to break them down and uh smalls has the first one i was just shocked that it was called a flagrant foul i'm not sure how it was determined i know if it's determined in new york or if it's the officials on the floor steve kerr after being ejected in five twenty five thousand dollars for arguing a flagrant foul on draymond green how has your relationship with officials changed over the years, especially in the G League where the refs are trying to essentially work their way up to the NBA level? I better watch myself here. Um, <laughs> I, oh man, I, I'm really stumbling with this one just because I have great relationships with some of our officials. There are others, and I've been a big proponent of um, trying to educate and help our officials in our league for five years. And there are others that just won't talk to you. And I have a really hard time mm -hmm. with that <laughs> and I don't handle it great. Um, you know, and I tell our assigner all the time, I say, listen, I am less inclined to yell at someone who will talk to me. Like I, that's just human nature. Like come say hello. Like tell me that. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is what I saw. Um, obviously mm -hmm. my tone is not going to be great. Um, but it's, it's tough. I mean, I think the in the G league, they're trying to get all these guys and, and girls ready for the NBA. And that's the biggest thing. And, and I get all the time, um, because I'm very active in our officiating reviews. Um, I get all the time. Well, they're, they're developing too, you know, they're developing. And, and to me, it's, you know, you got coaches out here, you got players out here that are losing jobs. Um, not because of officiating, but it, it plays in, right? It's, it's, uh, we're all developing, but we're also developing for a future. And there's, and we have recourse that you can see, right? You can see 
stat lines. You can see wins and losses that we don't see recourse um, on the on the official side. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, we have some great ones. We have some that are up in the NBA right now doing a great job, um, and we have some younger ones that need a lot of time. And um, you know, I I try to tell them I I yell at everyone equally. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm not yelling at you, then I, I just don't think you're good enough to even talk to, <laughs> which is kind of terrible to say, but it's, it's the truth. Um, and I, you know, I've been thrown out of a couple games in the D league and, um, usually I'm up there in techs. Uh, this year I've done a great job though. Now with the kid, you got to worry about the fine money. So, um, I was going to get, thrown out. I almost got thrown out. My daughter gets born on a Tuesday at 3:55 AM. You know, we're in the hospital for 24 hours. I'm tired as hell. Come home, sleep for a couple hours. We have Santa Cruz that night at home, best record in the league. And uh, so I'm like, I'm coaching this game. There's no way I'm missing this game. So I get there, and, and there's just an official that doesn't like me. And we always have issues. And he's given me many tees throughout the years. <laughs> and he starts right away, and I come right back. And he tees me in the first five minutes, and I lost it. And he mm-hmm. looked at me, was going to run me. And I think he knew that I had a baby that day and let me stay in the game. And that was, uh, it was a lot. It would have cost me a decent amount of money because I wouldn't have left the court in a timely fashion. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they have the worst jobs. Like, the officials have the worst jobs. Yeah. Can't win. No one's ever happy with them. When have you ever seen a game and they're like, oh, man, the officiating was awesome. Like, best officiated game of the year. Like, it doesn't happen. Everyone just complains. They dwell on the two calls you miss. And they're big calls probably. And uh, it's just really hard. And I, I really do have empathy for those uh, those guys and girls that ref our games. And it's, um, you know, our guys aren't great either with them. And they, they get really uh, upset. And, and our, guy, our our players are smart. Like we get videos just like the NCA does and, and, and emphasis rules every year. And, um, you know, this year our big thing was away from the ball fouls and hitting people, right? Chucking cutters and being real physical away from the ball. And uh, we're playing our, our first game, and when we run a lob play, and a guy pushes our guy going to the rim in the back. <laughs> and it's like our players just lost it. They're like, we just watched the video for an hour, and you don't call that. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? It's, a, it's also, like, way more frustrating, too, because uh, I do feel like at least D-League officials are a little bit quicker on the whistle. And then so, like, you make a bad call, and then you compound it by teeing somebody for complaining, and then they get fined. And it's like – and these guys don't make it to, you know, like Laura Holkamp runs Chris Paul and he gets fined 25 grand. He just like takes the money out, wipes his butt with it and sent, you know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. just stupid, but you know, you get teed in the, in the D league, like it hurts you. And that, that part's interesting. I, I do remember like coach Baker often yelling, like your bank account's going to be lighter. Cause I guess officials do get fined for bad calls. We just never hear about it, you know, but I always thought that was funny. Yeah. And the best was like the NBA players that come down, they, they don't realize like when they get teched, they get an NBA fine. Like they get fined twenty five uh, twenty five hundred, not the fifty that the regular G League players get fined. So I can remember Isaiah Cannon when he got his first tech. He's like, "Oh man, twenty five. He's like twenty five racks." I'm like, "Oh yeah, there you go, bud." <laughs> uh, all right, next one's from your, your one of your old uh, bosses, Daryl Morey, and it's an analytics based question. And this is Daryl Morey uh, has gone on the record with this a couple times, but said so it's very interesting and yeah i do upset a lot of people when i say things like lebron is significantly better than jordan and actually it's overwhelmingly true you know my question to you is and and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning um you you looked at a lot of like points per shot how has your like kind of analytics base expanded over the last like five to seven years and 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 how much are you learning on not just a day-to-day basis but you know a season-to-season basis i think every day i mean i think um 
you know, I was talking with Chris Finch, who's with the Pelicans now, who was an assistant with the Rockets, who I'm good friends with. And, you know, we talk all the time, you can't unlearn <laughs> what you learned in Houston, right? Like, you learn that stuff and it's correct. Like it's hundred percent. The numbers don't lie. So you go to a place that doesn't value it and you can't unlearn what you were taught. And, uh, they, it just from day one, uh, the amount of information that they were able to give me, uh, to help our team and to help our staff grow, um, what to look for, what shots are more valuable than other shots. Why the offensive rebounding component into what's making a shot a better shot than, than other shots. Uh, the speed and pace of how fast you get a shot up that aren't direct layups. Like you can get anything you want. Like the one thing that I really wanted was um, what's the field goal percentage on average in the NBA per second on the shot clock, you know, to see how quick. And literally I asked for that in the morning. I had it in the afternoon. Like if I wanted that at Keystone, it would have taken me three years. Uh, So just to be able to have stuff at the palm of your hand, like anything you could think of that could help like zones and, you know, playing the different like triangle twos in the NBA, you know, the corner three ratios. It's just unbelievable. And now in, in Miami, we have Shane Battier that runs our analytic department with Brian Hecker. And they do such a great job of, you know, building a database and building a stats page. And there's not a stat you could possibly want that they don't have or can't get you within an hour. So it encourages you to think outside the box as well, to like really be creative in terms of what you're watching on film and like just not, you're never putting a question in your pocket. You're always able to just say like, Hey, I was thinking about this and it's not a stupid question. Exactly. I, I mean, at this day and age with the way the game's going and, and I don't think there is a stupid question. It's, uh, you know, I almost, when I was a Juco head coach and I was 23, we were playing a team that I knew we couldn't beat. And I was like, you know what? We're going to play four on five and leave someone down at the offensive end. We're just going to play four man zone or two, a two, two. We're going to leave someone down there. I just want to see what they do. And mm-hmm. uh, we practiced it all week. And right before the game, my assistant goes, we can't do this. This is going to take basketball back years. And I was like, ah, oh, all right. And I didn't do it. I'm so mad. I didn't do it. I'm ah, one of my big regrets. But it's funny, like that you came up with that because, like, I know Vivek in Sacramento, like, wanted to play that way for a little while on the biggest stage. Like, he wanted to do it in in Sacramento on in the NBA and see what would happen. It's like endlessly curious guys, you know? Yeah, and this was 2004, where you're just like, all right, we if we play regular, we can't win, right? And that that really was how we we changed the system at Ithaca too. Like, if we would have played normal basketball, we couldn't get the guys that the other teams in our league could get. So if we're going to play that way, we're going to lose. We're going to win every once in a while, but you're not going to win at a high level until you were different, until you changed and played the personnel and, you know, didn't play a five and played all guards and played a different way. Yeah. I mean, if if you're just going to go in with one mindset, you're going to have a really hard time unless you're, you know, getting the best players and and have the best job in your league. All right. We're going to move on to our next segment. That's the city review. Now I, I got to warn you, coach McGinnis, your buddy, made Cleveland seem like Vegas, Miami, New York City, all rolled into one. That's how he described Cleveland. So high high bar set by Coach McGinnis, but we're coming there for a weekend. Actually, the whole text chain that you have is coming to Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the weekend. Give us three restaurants, two bars, and an activity to do in Sioux Falls. You got to understand, Todd lived in Oneonta, New York for Eight years. Yeah, eight years. Jump yeah. up to Cleveland was like <laughs> you know, his head was exploding with the bars and restaurants he could he could go into. Um, he and and all he needs is a lake. If he has a lake, he's good. Or a yeah. river. anyway, he's, he's a boat guy. He's a boat guy. Yeah. He's a boatsman, a yachtsman. 
<laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> that guy barely can tie the boat. Uh, but somehow he owns one and drives it all through uh, everywhere. I mean, we used to go on Cooperstown Lake. It was so much fun. It was the best lake in the United States because no one's ever on it. <laughs> you just do whatever you want. Um, but so Sioux Falls, uh, after every game, I go to uh, a place called Crave. Uh, I think it's the best restaurant. It's a, a sushi American restaurant. Um, it's in the lobby of the Hilton. And you would be shocked at on a Tuesday night in Sioux Falls, the lack of available restaurants after 10 p.m. I know mm. that's amazing, but uh, <laughs> Crave is always there for Never you. Thought. Yeah, it's always there for you. They know me now. They just throw a Bud Light on the table and bring my uh, edamame and uh, my little poke bowl. So um, we haven't, I mean, with the baby, we haven't been able to go as much, but uh, I still try to, I actually was there last night. So, um, what's your go-to poke bowl? Because, you know, tuna, tuna, salmon, are you a spicy guy? Are you a crunch guy? No, nah, what, what are you going with? with vegetable fried rice. It's, uh, they do a great job. They put a little, little kick to it. Um, and we get the edamame really spicy. So that helps as well. Um, I like that. There's a Italian restaurant where I used to live. I moved to a different place. I actually live on a golf course now um, called Spazia. It had great meatballs, great Italian food. Closes early, uh, good for like a Sunday um, after church or after a couple football games. Great spot to go on a Sunday. Um, and there is one other bar restaurant, uh, Mackenzie River downtown. Uh, the nice part about that is it has the ice on the bar, so you can put your beer on the ice. Um, Always, uh, you go to a bar and there's ice on the bar, you know it's a good spot. Uh, and the, the tough part about Sioux Falls, I mean, like, the great part and the tough part is it's like a chain restaurant mecca. Oh, there. yeah, Midwest. You know, like, you can great. go to a Texas Roadhouse, it takes three hours to get a seat. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, my uh, in laws were here last year, we tried to go to Texas Roadhouse at six, I think we sat down at like 8 15. <laughs> we're eating peanuts and drinking at the bar and throwing peanut shells everywhere and it, it, the, the amount of people that crave these chain restaurants up here is just insanity um from bars i go to the bar at crave the most um it's if you know you're trying to go get a drink and meet people it's right downtown um so i think that's a uh, that's a pretty good one um there was a spot that i used to go to my first year that now is just a concert venue um they just had like insane clown posse a couple weeks ago they get some pretty decent acts i mean older acts but decent ones um called the district i used to go there and uh have have some beers after games um but really our choices are outside of like going out out which i'm 38 and uh not in that uh going out and getting a, a table at the club type uh type situation at this point so um i'm, I'm a happy hour guy not to not to throw some shade on you and your group of friends who we've now gotten to know pretty well over the last like eighteen months, but none of you guys seems like really club guys. It seems like sports bar, like you know they got dollar Bud Lights. You're gonna get some apps, watch some watch some football, basketball, rip on each other. It doesn't really Shoot seem like darts. a club team. Yeah, yeah darts. We were, you know, we were club guys at one point. Um, you know, we if you could have had a video of my bachelor party with everyone there, I, I don't know if that would be uh, great for any of our careers, but. Um, you know, I think we've morphed into happy hour guys. We want to get to the bar at four and be home by seven. And, uh, you know, you got that three hour window to do what you want. Um, yeah, it's good. You're still, and you get a good night's sleep. You're still feeling good the next day. You know, you can't get into too much trouble at 7 p.m. It's fine. You know, and, and we live in Saratoga and the bars are open until four. So if I'm 
if I'm trying to go out, it's going to be rough. <laughs> it's going to be a bad next day. And oof, you just don't know what you're going to get into. Um, you know, there's 500 bars in like a, a half a mile radius. Um, but yeah, we got, we got a little, we got a couple watering holes in Saratoga we go to. Uh, we take the dog and hang out and uh, watch people walk around. It's, uh, now that's the best place in the world. So, so what's the one activity we're going to do uh, to close out City Review in Sioux Falls? i tell you what, there, <laughs> I'm not going to say there's not much because there, if you're up here and it's the beginning of the season or end of the season, um, you should go to the falls. It's, I'm not a big aesthetic guy. I don't like to look at art. I'm not like, I haven't been to Mount Rushmore. I've been here for three years. Uh, I just don't see the point driving six hours, looking at something for 10 minutes and driving back. Um, but the falls are actually pretty cool. There's a, you know, walk around, you just, we take the dog for a walk. You get to see the water. It's, it's, it's a good, um, scene. Uh, they do a great job for, for Christmas. They put Christmas lights everywhere, have music going. Uh, you just drive around and see the lights. So it, it's something you should do. I will say they're putting a, it's not top golf, but it is top golf. It's sponsored by something else up here. Uh, they're opening it next fall. Um, literally right next to the arena we play in. So I think that will turn into the big, big spot. It's going to be enormous. Um, and that, that'll be something cool to do. Um, uh, but really outside of basketball, you know, my wife and I just go to dinner, uh, have a couple of drinks, hang out. And, uh, we're pretty boring at this stage of our lives. The, the one thing I will say is Nevada let me know when we were talking about doing this podcast that he and I have the same type of dog. We both have Wheaton Terriers and he keeps mentioning taking the dog places. Just unequivocally the best dog breed to just hang out with like take them to the bar they're just they're just hanging out they want a bowl of water they want to meet everybody but like don't cause any problems like really good in the car like low energy at times high energy at other times but you know most people are like oh yeah get like a lab or a golden retriever take them to the bar like you haven't lived until you've had a wheat and terrier like sitting on the outdoor seating like next to you for five hours while you're drinking a case of beer i mean that's really that's the life and just chilling, like literally, like you said, saying hi to people, sniffing, looking around. You give her some, uh, you know, I give her some hamburgers under the table. And she's oh, yeah. like, oh, man, she she literally every morning sits in between my legs as I watch film and, and get ready for the day and have coffee. She's the best. I don't know where, uh, you know, our family would be without her right now. She goes with me in the car everywhere. You know, in the summer, you know, I talk to her like a person. You know, we go for walks. We're up the track. We're watching horses. She's running around, like barking at the horses. It's so much fun. It just, uh, she's the best man. Doesn't shed. Sleeps in bed. Same. My my wife and and the dog are probably still asleep upstairs. That you know, it's like nine o'clock here. So you know, no need no need to get up. It's a lazy no. Sunday. It's raining outside. Like, keep sleeping. You know. He uh, yeah. she was sitting on my legs until I started talking. Then she got mad and went to the other side of the couch. So. They also love the car. Like, I guess a lot of love dogs it. do, but he loves, Dwyer, like, loves putting his feet on, like, the center console and just, like, staring out. And we hook him in. He's got a little seatbelt, but, like, he just, like, stares out the front as if, like, he has to see the road and know where we're going. Not that he knows, you know, but it's, like, the most exciting thing in his life. A hundred percent. She loves the, like, the sunroof, too, in the summer. Put her head out there. Just let the wind hit her nose. Like, absolutely love. It goes nuts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, create your shot. The first uh, podcast sponsored by Wheaton Terriers. Small as exactly. I know you're a you're a you're a rescue guy, so I, I respect that too. Saving lives, Pimple, you know. Thank you for your man. service. Uh, That's what I do. All right, let's uh, let's go to ten touches. Rapid fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? Uh, Rob Clune, my uh, college coach. I worked with him for one year at Allegheny. 
um, guy was a comedian on in Manhattan before he started coaching. <laughs> I mean, I, the stories I could tell you about that guy, I just, I'll give you one quick one. So I'm working for him at Allegheny and his wife basically raised me. She was like my mom uh, when I played and she was, she's a great lady. And um, I never realized that Rob was colorblind. So his wife is an admissions director at, at Allegheny where we were and uh, she's out of town. So he comes in in this outfit that looked like a two-year-old put it together. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, you're not wearing that, are you? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you got like purple, blue, and red. Like how, you can't wear that. He's like, oh, whatever. No one cares about me. Like just, and every day was something new with him. He used to make us laugh in, in college and working for him was just another level. He would roll in. I'd make fun of him every day. He'd have 55 manila folders carrying them off the steps to our office. And he took them home every day. I'm like, what in the world can you be doing with those manila folders at home for 12 hours? Like, I know you want to act like you take stuff home and that's why you're doing it. But like, they're dropping all over the place. He's spilling his coffee all over his shirt. And he just looks at me with this like big cheesy smile and like gives me this head nod. I'm like, oh my God. Such a great Classic, uh, classic so D3 life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the best. You've uh, you've worked in the G League now five years. You're D three for all you know a ton of years before that. So I'm sure you've got a million. But what's your worst travel experience as a head coach? Oh man, um, well I could give you the million flight cancellations. Um, yeah, I mean when Sioux Falls, even when there's snow on the ground because it's so windy, like you can't, you know, it might not be snowing, but there might be swirling winds and the pilots can't see. I mean that I've, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. I'll yeah. give you one from this year just because it's recent. So. There's one bus company that we use, and, and we only bus to one place. We only bus to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, after a game, we had to play Iowa the next day. And uh, so get on a bus at you know, 10 p.m., and we're driving. And you know I'm cutting up the game. It's a five-and-a-half-hour drive, whatever it is. So you know for the first couple hours, you're awake, and you're alert, and you're, you're watching. Um, now, I'm convinced that there's only one bus in this company because we get the same bus every time for three years because my Wi-Fi connects to it. So I'm convinced it's a one bus company with one driver. Okay. Now the driver we usually have has a bum wheel. He hurt his leg, can't drive. Right. But he's on the bus and I'm like, well, this is weird. Like if he's not driving, why is he coming on this trip with us? So there's this guy, his name was, uh, Zoran. I kept calling him Zoltan and he's uh, fresh off the boat and he's driving us. And you could tell early that he had no idea what he was doing. All right. We're, we're swerving. He's not using turn signals. He has no clue how to handle this type of bus. <laughs> so right when we're, it's, it's basically one road for the most of it. But then the last, you know, 45 minutes, you got to make a couple turns. So I'd get our operations guy to come up. I'm like, you gotta, and, and obviously it's what, 2019. They, he doesn't have a GPS. He's just going by feel, which I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I tell Khan, I'm like, Khan, you got to get up here and you got to tell this guy directions. Like, just keep it on your phone. We have to make a turn. Just give him advance notice. Like, we got to turn. <laughs> so we're, we have to get off this exit. And literally, Connor tells him, like, hey, in one mile, we got to get off. Hey, in half a mile, we got to get off. Hey, you know, up here, you can see it. We're getting off that exit. And if we don't, and this is now, it's four in the morning. We got to play the next day. And if we don't get off this exit, it's going to be like an hour detour. It, it, the snow is crazy. Like we can't see anything. Um, so the guy doesn't get off and we're screaming at him. You got to get off. You got to get off. So he stops the bus on a four lane highway with trucks flying past us. Goes in reverse. Nice. Starting in reverse. 
get off of the highway and we're like, we're going to die. Like literally there are buses and trucks going past us at 70. We get to the hotel and we're like, all right, right here. Just turn in right here. Just turn in right here. Goes past it. Does a three point turn in a front yard of a guy's house. Bus rips up the whole yard. Doesn't stop. We're on the bus an extra half hour for this turn where we could have just got off and walked. And we get off. And before he doesn't help anyone off, doesn't help with the buses, the guy sprints off the bus and smoking a cig. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, it's. it's you, you've probably had so many wild experiences too that like a lot of stuff doesn't really move the needle. But if you remember something like very vividly, then it means somebody's doing something like way out of control. Oh yeah. I mean, we hit, we hit multiple deer in Ithaca. We drove without headlights. We got stuck, stuck in a blizzard just sitting there. Um, Keith, we used to drive vans everywhere. Like that was the worst, man. Driving to Rochester and the pouring down snow. In a night game, so you're getting back at two in the morning. Your kids are restless. Oh yeah, those trips are terrible. What uh, if you have time? Probably not in season. Maybe some in season, but out of season. What TV show are you uh, binge watching? Uh, so I pick a show every year and watch it on on a plane. Um, it, sometimes it shows I haven't watched. Sometimes it shows I have. This year I pick Sopranos, start from uh, from start to finish. Do a little rewatch. Um, we watch uh, the challenge is probably uh, our house's favorite show on MTV. CT's um, back, right? Two episodes, two, two episodes in, bananas. CT, you know, it's it's a oh, yeah. You got a great crew, and you got these new uh, prospects. They're calling them. Um, they're just roided <laughs> out freaks that you know, make some stuff fun. Uh, you know, we watch billions. Um, as Todd said, we watch Million Dollar Listing and uh, shows on Bravo. My wife's a big. Uh, I, I love the Jay Cutler show. I could watch Very Cavalier all day. Yeah, I, I keep trying to like, so I, that store is obviously in Nashville. I've, I've frequented it a few times uh, to buy gifts because it's a real popular place, but they never have the cameras on when I'm in there. It's, you know, I do see some of the people that work on the show every now and again, but, uh, and the guy, the guy uh, Worth, yeah. he opened a gym now directly next door. So he has his own gym. So that'll probably be shown on the next Very Cavalry. But yeah, he, so it's connected. It's, it's Uncommon James and then whatever Worth's gym, it's like True Mav Fitness or something. So. They're creating a little empire. In case you guys were worried about the behind the scenes of Very Cavalry. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We we watch a lot of TV. It, it just now with the baby, too. It's just, um, you know, we, we watch reruns of The Office. I try to sneak Seinfeld in when I can. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's always a lot going on. What, uh, I mean, you started coaching right away, but did you ever think about what you would do if you weren't uh, working in basketball? Uh, so my wife makes fun of me all the time. I, I think I'd have been a great private investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really good i mean i'm we watch friends of cows every night before we go to bed and um i just think that it would have been a great career path for me uh what's who's the we'll get back to basketball yeah, i don't know a lot of pis that do really well you know like you, you gotta like no that's why you don't cases, know right? man they're under the radar that, oh, that's I, the best one that's a good point but, but here's the other thing too it's like every show you watch like if it's a, a really wealthy guy like in billions they all have like a private investigator on retainer they get paid gets paid like shitload of money I mean, it wasn't like going to SUNY Canton and St. Lawrence and Allegheny and Ithaca and Keystone weren't grinds either. I mean, <laughs> no, that's, grind that's true. That's true. That's a, that's a very good point. Uh, who's, the, uh, who's the best player you've ever coached against in the G League, you think? Um, probably CJ McCollum. Uh, you can tell his rookie year, uh, he played for Idaho. Um, he was just really good. I mean, he, he did so many different things. Um, he could handle, he could pass, he was big, he could shoot. 
the game was easy. It was almost like slow motion for him. And we had Chris Johnson, who was a great defender. And I remember at, at, at a timeout, he just comes up. He goes, ah, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> I was like, I got gotcha. you. We'll that Idaho team was loaded for a little while when they had guys down. Cause like Pierre Jackson was like scoring 30 a night. Like Richard Howell was like just an animal down low. Like they were very, very good. No doubt. I mean, there's been so many great players though. I mean, we played against Rudy Gobert. Um, you know, there's so many guys that are like fringe guys that are just really good players too. Uh, you know, there's so many guys this year that can really play. And, um, you know, we had Tory Craig last year and we had Malik Beasley two years ago. Those guys are playing a ton of minutes in Denver. We had Derek Jones. Derek Jones is a freak show. Um, no, yeah, no question. We, we are yeah. familiar with Derek Jones. <laughs> oh, my God. It, I turned the dunk contest off last night. I was like, I watched Derek Jones do warm up dunks that are better than the stuff they're doing. Yeah, like, that dunk contest that. was lame. His ability to like get off the floor, like some of his tip dunks are just so ridiculous where you see when he like takes off and somebody doesn't check him out and you're just like, oh my God, like he's just going to put his nuts on somebody's back. Like it happens like once a game. It's you crazy. See it like two seconds before it happens. And he, when he was with us, he became an unbelievable cutter and yeah. he would cut into gaps and the guards knew just to put it anywhere <laughs> and he would just hammer it like so hard the ball would be in the stands. Like, it was so great. I miss that. If you <laughs> if you could change one thing about G League basketball, what would it be? So I got a big theory that's not – Todd actually said it. He stole it from me. Um, I don't think there should be secondary charges. Uh, I think the only person that should be able to take a charge is the primary defender. Uh, I think the game would be more open. I think it would be more fun. I think we'd be able to really teach verticality. Um, I just think that that's the hardest call to make, and we could eliminate it. Uh, primary defender charges are pretty easy calls. Um, the secondary defenders, where they're sliding under, where they get there late, where they're in the circle, I just think we can eliminate the hardest call in basketball. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And the purists will say, well, you're rewarding, you're, you're taking away the defense. Like, what can they do? Okay, well, keep the guy in front of you and uh, learn verticality. It's pretty easy. Like, it's still um, So that, that's always been my biggest change. I bring it up every single year and everybody laughs at me. But at some point, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think it would force people to learn verticality and the game would just adapt. That's what would happen. And it would be way better because I hate the charge call. I hate the block call. I hate everything about it. Ruins the game, ruins every level of basketball for me uh, in terms of that play. And everyone wants to go with the rim and every ref wants to call a charge because he actually gets to look like Yeah, it's a sweet eyes. action. It's like, it's like such a joke at the end of games. Like refs just want to call charges so bad. Like it's almost benefiting you as a coach to just be like, look, just throw your body in there and flop. And like 75% of officials are going to call it and they're going to like really sell it and the crowd's going to get into it. It's just it's stupid. It's, stupid. <laughs> it's also a call. You can put the left hand behind the head, really throw the right <laughs> arm yeah. out. You can almost do a twist motion where you're throwing it like you got weights and you're just throwing them over your shoulder. It's just, it's too much. We had a guy that I really respect as an official, but loves the charge call, right? So we're in Texas and we get a charge. And I didn't even care that it was a block charge. I didn't, you know, I didn't even see it. But all I saw was his reaction. And you would have thought he was throwing a haymaker in a nightclub. And <laughs> I pull him over and I'm like, I, I just, I don't care about the call. Like, I can't watch you act like you're the show. Like, no one gives a shit. <laughs> you're out here repping this game. Like, stop. <laughs> He's like, you always say that to me. I'm like, yeah, because it irritates players and coaches to no end. And it's going to be on every report. <laughs> He's like, you're right. You're right. I was like, you going to stop doing it? He goes, probably not. I was like, then what are we doing? <laughs> Wasted conversation. Yeah. 
Uh, next question. Coach, you would most like to meet and pick their brain. Mike Leach. Um, uh, yes. I've, great answer. I've, uh, Spo and I are trying to get this done this summer. Uh, cause he goes to West Palm a lot. He, he like lives down there in the off season. So we're going to try to get a meeting with him and, uh, just hang out with him. I, I don't even care if we talk athletics. I just want to listen to the guy. The guy's amazing. I've read his book. Um, I follow him religiously, uh, from when he was at Texas Tech to now Washington State. So, um, Definitely Mike Leach, 100%. What's your pregame routine? Any superstitions? I eat five pickles for every game. Um, and I shoot half-court shots. And our record is amazing. When I go higher than two for 10 underhand, our record is great. When I uh, don't make one, it's very average. So a lot of pressure. I go out about three hours before the game, shoot my half-quarters, and and eat my ten or eat my five pickles in the locker room. That's my my big routine. Do you have a specific type of pickle? I'm a spicy pickle guy. Like I'm where it's marinated with habaneros and stuff like that. So I don't know if you got like a specific type or. We go. Uh, we, we have a sponsorship with Firehouse Subs, so they're just uh, dill spears. So they uh, the guy makes me my own. He gives the team a, a bin, and he gives me my bin. So uh, it's a great, great relationship. <laughs> Uh, do you have a hidden or secret talent? Um, I used to play uh, a lot of online poker back in the day because I could calculate stuff pretty quick. Um, I would say I was borderline online poker professional, I guess. That's probably about it. Horse race, I'm a big horse racing guy. I like going to the track. I feel like I do a decent job when I'm there. Nice. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Oh man, um, Jason Leone, I think at Oswego, you would love it. He would be a little too coach speaky, but um, the unintentional comedy he would provide would be amazing. We we do we do like coach speak guys sometimes because if you can get them to open up and like get them to poke fun at themselves a little bit when they recognize like all right, I'm a little bit of a hardo right now. Those guys are fun to have on. Seeing the kind of like metamorphosis of like, hey man, 27 cliches in the first 10 minutes, like. You know, maybe they lay it on a little thinner for the rest of the show. If you could get him through and like talking about McGinnis and stories with Todd, he'd he'd be unbelievable. It'd be great. Like he's so funny, he's dry. Um, it'd be a great guest. Um, and then you've had a—I mean, most of my friends on already. I think uh, Nate Hagert Regis would be a good one. He's super chill, super relaxed. You can talk about like he collects vinyl, like tons of different things. Just a has a lot of different interests, so he'd be a great guy. Goes to a ton of concerts, collects T-shirts, um, so he's uh, he'd be a guy. I think you guys would really enjoy. You'd get some great stories too. All right, cool. Uh, last segment, same two questions to every guest. Parting shots. What's the uh, best advice you've ever been given? Um, I would give you my freshman year. My guy on the team told me if you're too scared to cheat, study. Uh, that's probably not not what I want to be being known for um it's a good one that's a good one though to be totally honest it was pretty good it was pretty good yeah um you know i think my high school coach used to always really preach uh you know treat people the the way you want to be treated and i don't think i grasped that at an early age um i think now getting being older and, and seeing people struggle and um understanding different you know different people different backgrounds you know, I, I think over the last 10 years or so, that is really, um, you know, I, you try to remember little things from everybody that you, you know, worked with, played with, played for. 
Um, and that's probably, uh, that's probably a coach speak one, but it really is, um, something I try to, to make sure I, I preach on a daily basis. Face to face with your 25 year old self. What do you tell that person? Fool, man, on a Sunday morning at nine, <laughs> he's not up yet. Um, <laughs> you know, keep your head down, make the right decisions. Um, you know, every decision has a consequence. You're going to make wrong ones. Um, I always used to kick myself um, when I was at St. Lawrence my first year. Uh, Williams wins a national championship. And uh, Paulson had offered me a spot on his staff, and I didn't go. Uh, you know, I decided I wanted to stay and get my master's. I didn't know anything about the coaching profession at the time. Really dumb decision in hindsight. Um, but I had no idea, and I regretted that decision for a really long time. And, um, you know, if I don't make that decision, I'm not here, and I wouldn't change being here to, to anything in the world. So um, just understand that every decision uh, has a consequence. You might not like it at the time, but it, it'll all work out in the long run as long as you work hard and, and do what you're supposed to do. Actually, if you don't mind, I just have one more question before we get out of here. And I was thinking about this as you were just talking, but how have you kind of – you know, your rise was like relatively well documented in terms of people being like, you know, he's from D3 coach. Now he's an NBA D league coach, which is a very big deal. You know, there's not, there's what, 30 of those, 27 of those jobs. How have you kind of stayed humble the last six years? Cause you know, you, you know, a ton of guys in the division three profession, you obviously know a bunch of coaches in the NBA, but like, has there been a moment where you're like, all right, I'm feeling myself. And now I, I've got to kind of rein it in a little bit. Like, how have you stayed the same? as you were when you were, you know, like an assistant at Ithaca? I mean, I have the same group of friends I've had, you know, when we first started this thing, you know, we were 22 and, and even some of these guys taught, I mean, we were roommates in college and, you know, you know, high school playing against each other. And I, I, we say all the time, like you, you don't need more friends. You have a group right now that we love and we get along and we care about each other. And, um, you know, it's more than basketball. We don't, you know, I don't ask Todd how his recruiting class is or, you know, how a season's going or like, I don't care. Like I'm worried about him and you know, Beyonce, like I, it drives me nuts when people do that. And I think that we, you know, the first thing I did today was check box scores on D3 hoops. Like I still have that background. I still have that, you know, passion for my friends to do well. And I'm, I watch more of their games. I mean, I've watched more Case and Dickinson and Hopkins and Regis and Oswego and Ithaca and St. Lawrence. I've watched more of those games than I've watched probably anything outside of the NBA. Like I could tell you every player on their team, in college, I, I don't know. I can tell you the better players. I've watched John Moran. I've watched uh, Zion. I've watched, you know, the guys that you hear about. I've watched some teams that I wanted to see how they play, but um, not multiple times. And, um, you know, it, it does. You're, you're flying on private planes. You're staying in the Ritz of Miami. And you're kind of like, where am I? And how did I get here? But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you look at my phone and the people you text and the people you talk to. Who are the ones that have been there throughout the whole thing when you were making – 5,000 bucks in SUNY Canton living on a couch. Like the same dudes that when I got Keystone, um, you know, all drove up from wherever they were to go out in Ithaca with me and celebrate. Like literally Josh, Todd, um, the, all those guys drove there in two hours, two and a half hours. Josh just had a baby um, just to go out and celebrate. Like it was, uh, you know, that's the stuff you remember. That's the stuff that counts. Um, you know, those are the guys that are always going to be there. No, I mean, that's, it's good advice. Like I said, I just, you know, it's interesting. You don't see kind of like that exponential career growth a ton. And it's interesting, you know, like Spolster actually mirrors that a little bit, goes from being in the video room to the head coach of the heat, like pretty quickly. Cause he's Pat Riley's guy. And it's like, 
you know, how do you stay grounded and remind yourself of, of who you are? But I think that's good. Like just remembering kind of your, your friends around you and who's been with you the whole way. Spo is unbelievable. Like their staff is so close and they've allowed me to become a part of it. And it's, um, it's really amazing. Like he's such a, a grounded down to earth genius. Um, like he doesn't get the credit he should have. Um, and it's just the friendship that we've built, you know, the staff of, you know, Jawan Howard and Chris Quinn and Dan Craig and Eric Glass, Anthony Carter, Octavio Delagrano, like they're, they're like family now, you know, we go to, and I'll say this and you guys will laugh because it's pretty bougie, but we went to Sacramento Summer League and 4th of July, we're like, what are we going to do? We just, you know, all of us, including the uh, assistant equipment manager, uh, went to Napa for the day. <laughs> you know, it's like. That's good. Nice. Or wine tasting. Yeah, and, Good. and it's so inclusive. Like, there's no way, and this will be kind of mean, but in Houston, that they would have invited the assistant uh, equipment manager to come with us and, you know, didn't act like he wasn't a part of the group. Um, you know, it's just the, the way they include everyone, the way you feel when you're walking in the halls, the people that reach out and talk to you, the texts you get. Um, it's pretty awesome. It, it mirrors the relationship I have with my friends. Yeah. I mean, that's literally, that's awesome. And I know like, that's mostly what people hope for in this profession is like, yeah, you, you get something you can do for a long time and you get people that are good around you. So it, it sets you up for whatever you want to do next. But we have taken up enough of your time on this Sunday morning. Like I said, you, you got the three week old baby and you know, it is, it is a Sunday early. So I just wanted to appreciate you coming on. He is at NV Smith on Twitter, 38 regular season games left. I believe if I can do math correctly and then okay. the playoffs. What'd you say? 12 games left, 30 game, 38 games in. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Tw- you're 23 and 15. So I can't do math. It's embarrassing. Like, this you, is really bad. That's right. Okay. Say the right number. <laughs> we were just testing how quick you could calculate. Like, that's. You can't get that stuff here. You don't get that stuff by me. All right. 12 games left. There we go. 12 games left. Uh, and then the playoffs. So follow the Sioux Falls Sky Force. Follow Nevada on Twitter at NV Smith. And uh, Nevada, man, we really appreciate it. This was awesome. And uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. Anything I can do, let me know. I'll uh, I'll always plug you guys as much as I can. I think you guys do a great job, and uh, it's it's fun to have uh, you know different voices heard on a on a platform that you guys present. So, well, uh, next time you go to Napa, throw us a couple like Miami Heat shirts so we can just show up and be like, yeah, we're the uh, you know assistant to your yeah, assistant equipment manager, and we'll go. I'm the media guy. I've heard <laughs> that you guys are invited to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, party at the Final Four, and we. Uh, we definitely are going to have our uh, CWAC dinner that Thursday night of the Final Four. And what's nice is it's a mini, so I can drive up there. So I'm planning on going up. Uh, the Heat actually played a Friday game in the Final Four this year. So hopefully we can meet up and, uh, and say hello since I, I know you guys are going. Absolutely. All right, man. Be well. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right. Thanks, you guys, too.